0: And welcome to War of Religions, Episode 6, Riot. Last time, we watched the first war of religion unfold in France during the summer of 1562, as Protestants rose to arms under the leadership of the Prince of Condé to once again dislodge the Duke of Guise from the court. Fighting broke out in all the major cities in France, and several major cities flipped between the two sides as the war went on. However, there is one very important city that I failed to mention last time because I thought that it was dramatic enough to deserve its very own episode. That would be the city of Toulouse, the capital of the region of Languedoc in the south of France. During the spring of 1562, some of the worst atrocities of the war would come to pass on the streets of the ancient city, as religious divisions shifted into urban warfare and one of the most thrilling stories of the Civil War. Most of the time, I try to do most of the research for the episodes myself using primary source material. However, since this incident has already been well studied by the historian Mark Greengrass, I thought it would be best to draw from his research as to not reinvent the wheel. I'll leave a citation of his research at the end of the episode in case you'd like to learn more. By the outbreak of civil war in France, historians estimate that there were between 35 and 60,000 Huguenots in Toulouse. Early in 1562, Toulouse had some close calls regarding large-scale religious violence. In February, 100 soldiers had to separate a Catholic mob from armed members of a Reformed church before tensions escalated, and a militia had to guard later services. As Calvinist ministers became more bold with public preaching, Catholics responded with public demonstrations. One man was caught singing psalms during the season of Lent and was stoned to death by a crowd of Catholics. However, these events were only a dress rehearsal of things to come. Both sides' hatred continued to fester until April 6th, when tensions manifested themselves into open conflict. Just a few days after the Prince of Conde seized Orléans, a number of Protestants took part in a funeral procession of the wife of a member of their congregation. They carried the casket toward the cemetery of the Reformed Church, but on the way, they encountered the parents and confessor of the woman, who asserted that she had died a Catholic, and thus should be buried in the Catholic cemetery. This was a big deal to them, because they believed that the Catholic Church was holy ground, and would be better suited for the soul of the departed than the unholy ground of the Protestant graveyard. By coincidence, this same day was the feast day of Saint Salvador, and thousands of Catholics were in the streets taking part in a procession parade. Conflict began when priests tried to take the body of the woman for a proper Catholic burial, and came into contact with the mourners. Soon after this, the two processions crossed paths in the streets, and the Catholics refused to let the Huguenots pass. Since there were already thousands of Catholics and Protestants on the streets for their mourning and feasting, in a matter of minutes, the two processions turned into riots. The two mobs clashed in a suburb, and riots spread into the city and spilled over into the next day, leaving a handful of Huguenots dead from the violence. The Protestant community reacted to the deaths with great anger and fear, and quickly seized the town hall to guarantee their safety. The Huguenots turned the city hall into a makeshift fortress, and a standoff ensued. Initially, attempts at mediation were thwarted, principally because the canons of the local cathedral reported to the Parlement that nothing serious was taking place. This could not have been further from the truth and while this was taking place, the riots spread throughout the city, and many homes were ransacked. To try to bring an end to the uproar. A number of judges and capitals appeared in the crowd wearing their traditional red robes, but had to retreat to the court precincts after being stoned and shot at by the mob. The city government then convened in the safer Augustinian monastery to bring an end to the conflict. The government of Toulouse was unique to the other cities in France, and its complexity is a bit outside the scope of this show. Basically, what you need to know is that the capitals were the chief magistrates of the city, but there were also other rival governing bodies, such as the General Council, the Town Council, the Council of Sixteen, and, most importantly, Parliament. As I mentioned in episode two, Parliament isn't quite like Parliament in Great Britain, but rather is a council of judges, similar to the Supreme Court in the United States today. Anyways, Toulouse was a city that had a quantity of different political assemblies, and each one thought that they were the ones in charge. Prior to these events, the governing bodies of Toulouse were hopelessly divided against themselves, but the events of April, 1562, helped unify the government to put a stop to the lawlessness, and they came to an agreement. The Huguenots could maintain a militia of 200 armed soldiers to protect their churches, on the condition that the Catholics could also have an army of the same size under the authority of the Capitals. They then condemned six men to death for inciting the riot, but Parlement stepped in and pardoned all of the Catholics involved. The Huguenots agreed to the terms and withdrew from the town hall to the suburbs. The measures did little but create a weak ceasefire within the town, and a month later, tensions began to flare up again. During this time, the capital slowly lost control of the military situation in Toulouse. Many of the academic and clerical elites of the city maintained illicit weapons, mostly because Catholic investigators refused to search the homes of fellow Catholics suspected of bearing arms. The underground arms trade flourished in Toulouse, and before long, city judges had garrisoned their homes with stockpiles of guns. In addition to this, the Parlement allowed 200 Catholic nobles to arrive in the city with their soldiers, which further drew the military force away from the capitals. In theory, Parlement had no political right to allow outside troops to assemble in the city without the permission of the capitals, and Protestants and moderate Catholics spoke out against these illegal maneuvers. However, the outcry did little, since many Catholics viewed the capitals as Protestant heretics and ignored their rule. Huguenot fears continued to increase as word of massacres against Protestants reached the city from all corners of France in what was deemed the Season of Vasi. With the arrival of more Catholic troops in the city, they saw it as only a matter of time before similar massacres broke out in Toulouse. Letters arrived to Calvinist churches requesting money for the Prince of Condé, who had recently declared himself the official leader of the rebellion from Orléans. News of the Civil War increased fears and hatred in Toulouse, as both sides grew more scared of how the other would react. Troops also began to be levied in the city for the Protestant cause, who garrisoned themselves on the estates of other Huguenots. Pierre Hunot, Sir de Lanta, one of the Protestant capitals of the city, took a detour on a trip to Paris to visit Orléans, where he met Conde. The prince gave Lanta a startling order, captured Toulouse for the Protestants. The two men began to hammer out a plan to take the city. First, the capital would make copies of the keys to the city gates. Then Lanta would levy a small army from his estates to the east of the city and sneak them through the city gates to meet up with Huguenot soldiers already garrisoned in some of Toulouse's private estates. Once assembled, the soldiers could seize the city hall as well as several other targets of strategic importance. The plan was set to go off a month later, on May 17th, 1562. Lanta began levying troops from his estates, but his actions did not go unnoticed by Catholic agents. The Parlement of Toulouse was informed of Lanta's suspicious activity, as well as the theory that he attempted to capture the city on Pentecost with a force of 1,200 men. Parlement held an emergency session to discuss how to combat this threat and 37 of the judges signed legislation to purge the Parlement of those suspected of heresy. The assembly convicted 20 of their own members, and with the Parlement fully purged, proceeded to make plans for further military assistance in the city. For defense of the city, Parlement turned to the governor of Languedoc, Monsieur de Joyeuse. When word got out that the now-Catholic Parlement was meeting to discuss military plans, The Huguenots reacted by calling a meeting of their own on May 12th. At the meeting, many of the city notables spoke, urging that they should do everything possible to prevent open bloodshed. They suggested trying to outline realistic political objectives to negotiate with the Catholics, seeing diplomacy as their primary weapon. Then, one of the prominent Huguenot ministers got up to speak. He reminded the gathering of Lance's gathering force outside the city, and the secret garrisons of Protestant soldiers already inside. Their position was about as good as it ever would be, and the audience became swept up in his call to arms. They planned a coup for that very night. That evening, a Huguenot militia assembled in one of the suburbs of the city, waiting to make contact with their allies inside the gates. At 9 p.m., A group of local Protestants under the leadership of a few capitals unlocked one of the gates, sneaking the soldiers into the city. Seizing the element of surprise, the militia rushed to the city hall, taking three other capitals prisoner. In the night, the troops seized three of the major universities. They would end up being a major source of manpower, as the students were ready to take up arms with the Huguenots, and they began building giant barricades with dirt around the areas they captured. By dawn, the Protestant forces were well dug in and strategic places around the city, having taken their objectives with almost no bloodshed. Parliament meant again to discuss the Huguenots' obvious treason. They passed legislation deposing all of the capitals and seizing their property. This was a big deal, because only two of the capitals were professing Protestants, and now Parliament had sacked all of them. Then Parliament bypassed the standard elections and appointed new capitals who were loyal to their pro-Catholic agenda. Imagine the Supreme Court of the United States voting to depose the President and his cabinet and replacing him with one of their friends without a national election. So that was the situation on May 13th. Treason on one side and tyranny on the other. Whereas the primary Huguenot fortress in the city was now the fortified city hall, the Catholics turned the seat of Parliament at the Palais de Justice into the center of military operations. From here, they sent out military orders throughout the city, including the command to remove shop awnings to prevent them from being used as perches by Protestant snipers. They then gathered all remaining loyal officers in the city for military assistance. Both sides were now well dug in, but Parliament did not sit back and wait for the Protestants to move before acting. They first secured the city's supply of gunpowder and the royal silver, and began gathering revenue for the fight to come. They constructed barricades in important streets to match the Protestants, and fighting sporadically broke out between the entrenchments. Finally, the members of Parliament appeared in the streets, wearing their crimson robes and addressing the crowds. They called for holy war against the Calvinist churches, and ordered the priests to grant dispensations in advance, to all who agreed to kill the heretics. They distributed white crosses to mark a distinction to all who took up arms for the Catholic cause and commanded that all Catholic homes distinguish themselves by placing candles in the windows for protection against fellow Catholics. Thousands of Catholics took to the streets, including the town guard, a local militia of 400 soldiers, and the 200 Catholic nobles with their men. Opposing them were 2,000 Huguenots, including the secret militias that had garrisoned themselves in private estates and large bands of college students drawn from the universities. The personal arsenals in the homes of wealthy Protestants had finally paid off, and the Huguenots armed themselves well against the much bigger mobs of Catholics. They also raided the arsenal of the city hall, stripping of it armor, gunpowder, arquebuses, pikes, and cannons. The two forces clashed in the narrow streets as they adapted to the climate of urban warfare. The Protestant forces placed musketeers on the overhangs of tall buildings to rain bullets and stones on those below. Huguenots employed hit-and-run tactics, using their homes to quickly navigate troops between alleys and streets. The Catholics noticed this advantage, and set fire to many Protestant homes to prevent this strategy. The whole city was in uproar, and as fighting continued from the 13th to the 14th, Parlement grew more paranoid of the state of their forces and organized a purge of their own army, just as they had done to their own Parlement two days earlier. Witch hunts for secret Protestants swept the city, and two Catholic captains were executed outside of the Palais de Justice as suspected heretics, despite a lack of evidence. Many of the Protestants who had not joined the violence were arrested for treason by Parlement, and the jails quickly became stuffed. The prisons actually released petty criminals to make room for more suspected Huguenots. However, many of those arrested did not even make it to the prison, but were massacred by mobs while being transported by the police. Since many of the town's Protestants came from upper-class or educated backgrounds, the mobs began attacking men in expensive suits, pulling them from their carriages and slaying them in the streets. Under the order of Parliament, Catholic troops arrested booksellers regardless of their religion, and pulled all of their books into the streets, where they were burned publicly. The fiercest fighters tended to be the university students, and both sides recruited masses of them from the local colleges. They tended to be deadlier than the Catholic Knights, who were used to fighting on horseback in open plains and had trouble maneuvering through the narrow city roads. However, the students knew the city well, and easily weaved through the streets around enemy forces. For both denominations, the early parts of the fighting were characterized by ritualistic acts of violence and vandalizing, with Protestants targeting Catholic churches and Catholics defiling corpses. However, as the mob violence shifted into urban warfare, symbolic gestures disappeared as now the two armies focused on survival and killing. By the end of the 14th, fighting now consumed most of the city and there was no end in sight. By the 15th, Both sides began adapting to the challenges of urban warfare. The Catholics had constructed wooden barricades as wide as streets with wheels attached. These structures would be pushed forward toward Protestant entrenchments to absorb fire until the Catholic troops could overrun their positions. This strategy tended to work, but in one incident the Protestants counterattacked and captured one. The Protestants even brought out a cannon from the City Hall in an attempt to take out another one of the portable barricades. With snipers dominating the roofs of the city and barricades dominating the streets, the fighting now not only took place on and above the city, but also below. The Huguenot forces used the intricate sewer system beneath the city to maneuver troops and hide fellow Protestants. The Catholics caught wind of this and flooded the sewers with water, drowning the Huguenots out. Despite being outnumbered, the Huguenot forces held their own for the first few days of fighting, but by the 15th, they began to waver. This whole time, the Protestants had been counting on reinforcement from Huguenot nobles who had joined Condé's cause, but reinforcements never came. On the other hand, Catholic churches in the area rallied troops to the cause, and their numbers grew, eager to bring the holy war to the heretics. Mark Greengrass described the fighting on the 15th as follows. Both sides had areas where support was weak or unforthcoming. Catholics had particular difficulty in the Rue des Courtiers and toward the Dodard Church, an artisan quarter where Huguenot support was strong. There, the Catholics instituted a campaign of terror, sectarian murder, pillage, and imprisonment, which remind the historian of some of the events in the Quartier Latin in Paris ten years later. Once the prisons had been filled, captive suspects were summarily stripped and thrown in the river. Those who attempted to swim were shot with arquebuses. End quote. However, the Huguenots continued to hold off, and Parlement decided to end the stalemate by setting fire to the homes in the neighborhood of Saint Georges, which included the area around the city hall. Fire spread, consuming 200 homes, including those of some Catholics. The Protestant forces continued to hold out in the fortified city hall by the 16th, with the city blazing around them and food supplies scarce. The writing was on the wall, and it was obvious that it was time to bring an end to the fight. Fighting raged for six hours on the morning of the 16th, but eventually, peace talks began and a deal was struck. The two sides would hold a temporary truce in which the Protestants could leave the city, never to return again. Shouts took place over no man's land to plan the logistics for the truce. The Catholics agreed that the Protestants would be unmolested, and that evening, the grand exodus began. Masses of Huguenots slowly made their way out of the city, weighed down with their belongings. They streamed out of the city at a steady pace well into the evening of the 17th. That night, as the final group of Protestants exited the city hall, they were met by a mob of Catholics who swarmed on the unarmed Huguenots as church bells beckoned others to the streets. They chased down the Protestants screaming, Long live the cross! and killing them in the, in the streets. A Catholic mob forced the city guard at gunpoint to open one of the city gates so they could chase down the Huguenots who had already left the city. The fleeing Huguenots encountered a mob of around a 1,000 peasants who massacred them outside of Toulouse. 400 were reported slain as they fled the city. All in all, the casualties from the week of fighting are estimated to be between 3,000 and 5,000, with most of those being Protestants. However, even after the 16th, revenge killings continued in Toulouse. Many of the prisoners taken by the Catholics were executed, and many others were convicted of treason by Parlement for having fought on the wrong side of the barricades. In the aftermath of the fighting, nearly a thousand more people were executed for being associated with the Protestant forces. The events in Toulouse were just one of many attempts by the Huguenots to seize major cities for their cause. As Greengrass put it, it was a struggle for the control of a city within the struggle for the control of the whole of France. It represents one of many attempts by the Huguenots to secure resources for their cause and the Catholic reaction against them. Both sides would continue to gather forces for the inevitable showdown that would come at the end of 1562. Next time, we will see the aftermath of the events of Toulouse play out throughout the south of France, as the Huguenots cling desperately to survival in the region. Thank you for listening. My featured source for today is The Anatomy of Religious Riot in Toulouse in May 1562 by Mark Greengrass, published in the Journal of Ecclesiastical History by Cambridge in July of 1983.